All right, well, here we are. It's December 22. I cannot believe it, but Christmas is in like Thursday, Friday, Sunday, or Saturday's Christmas, just like that. Now, Christmas is a great, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? That's what the song says, right? It's the most wonderful time, right? But for some people, it's an awful time because it reminds them that they don't, things, they've lost things, things have um, gone sideways. Um, maybe there's somebody missing from their life that was always a part of their life. And these holidays are, are uh, especially tough in those situations. Um, so I, I guess I want us all just to go in to this. It's a great celebration. It's awesome. Um, I love Christmas. And I am married to, like, the woman who is like Mrs. Christmas, you know. Um, she's been running Christmas programs for as long as, almost as long as we've been married. And, and, and yet, Christmas isn't about the Christmas program, and it's not about poinsettias, if that's the way you're supposed to say that word. Um, it's not about all the things that sometimes people make it about. It's not about shopping. It's not about um, cocoa and Santa Claus and sugar cookies, even though those things are all good. But Christmas is certainly not about that. That last song we sang, um, Our Living Hope, talks about the resurrection because without Easter, Christmas is pointless. Without Easter. See, and without Christmas, Easter couldn't have happened. So they're, 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 you need both of them. So it's not, that's why I love the fact that we sang a traditionally Easter song on the week of Christmas. Because Easter and Christmas are in, in, inexplicably linked. They're linked. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Easter without Christmas. But Christmas without Easter is meaningless. So if you look at what brought, what are the events that brought that first Christmas to be? That's what we're going to talk briefly about this evening. For those that are, that are watching online, we're so glad you've joined us tonight. And this isn't going to be a bummer night. We're going to have a good time. So don't turn it off just because I started getting a little bit um, philosophical on you there. See, that night so many years ago, Angels showed up and announced the birth of the Son of God. Jesus wasn't just a baby, and Jesus didn't begin to exist that day, that night, in Bethlehem. It says, unto us a child is born, Jesus the baby in the manger, unto us a son is given, the second person of the Trinity who came and it's called the incarnation. He, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Christmas is all about. It's the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how those all inter, they interrelate. The world came to a screeching halt approximately 20 months ago 
when COVID took over the airwaves and took over the world, basically. The world came to a halt. But the night that Jesus was born, nobody even noticed, except for a few lowly shepherds. Isn't that interesting? Something, a disease, and the whole world stops. But yet, the Son of God is born. God becomes flesh and dwells among us. And God did not announce that to the king. He didn't announce it to the high priest. He didn't announce it to wealthy people. He didn't announce it to important people. He announced the birth of his son to one of the lower classes of people in the world at that time, and that was shepherds who lived out in the fields with their sheep while shepherds watched their flocks at night. Right? The song, that we, that's one of the Christmas songs we sing. While shepherds watched their flocks at night all seated on the ground. Right? Anybody else remember that song? The, the angel, the glory of the Lord came down and glory shone around. So he revealed himself to shepherds. It's important to note that Jesus, in his life, associated with people that were of lower economic and lower social status. For instance, the first person that outside of his disciples that he revealed himself to as the Messiah was, number one, a Samaritan, a divorced woman who was a Samaritan. Not accepted in society, not respected in the Judeo-religious circles at all, but that's who he revealed himself to. It's interesting. God put Jesus, the, his son, king of the universe, the one, it says that nothing was made except for by the mouth of Jesus. Through him, all things were created, and without him, nothing was made. In, in Colossians. The creator of the universe. Jesus was there. He was there speaking. It says nothing was created except for by his words. And yet he sent him to be born in a barn. They had to shovel the poop out of the way, put down some fresh straw, and that's where the Son of God was born. Think about it. In the barn. That's where he was born. So God does things different than what we maybe would. See, man expects things to be a certain way, but God doesn't do things the way that man expects. See, you'd think if, if, if someone was going to send their son to be the king of the world and to rescue the world, to save the world, he would have sent him through Herod. I mean, he was the king of the region, right? Send him to Herod. Let him be raised in the palace, and then he can be the king and liberate the Jews that way. But that's not what he chose. He chose to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It says that in, let me get back to my notes here, because I'm getting way ahead of myself. 
It says he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise in Corinthians. Confound means to bewilder, to amaze, and to confuse. That's what it means to confound. So God confused the religious leaders of the day. God confused the Romans and the Herod, the, the political leaders of the day, the people that thought they had everything all figured out. He confused them. He amazed them. He bewildered them by sending his son to be born in a stable, in a barn, and be raised in the lowly estate like that. It's interesting that if if Jesus had been born in the Ritz-Carlton, they would not have allowed the shepherds to even come in to the Ritz-Carlton because they smelled like sheep. Right? They'd say, you stink, don't come in here. So he appears, he sends his angels, glory to God in the highest, down on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, right? The angels come and sing. And they announce the birth of the Messiah. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what the angel says to the shepherds. And the shepherds are like, Messiah! So they run to the, to the, to the stable. They run to the barn. They fall down and they worship. That's who God shows to reveal the birth of his son to. Shepherds. God doesn't see things the way we see things. In fact, one of the reasons that the Jews and the religious leaders of the day didn't accept Jesus is because they had a preconceived idea of what the Messiah was going to be like, look like, and act like, right? And to this day, there is the nation of Israel and there's Jews, people that have born, they are Abraham's seed. After the flesh, they are Abraham's seed. They are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they have rejected Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. They have rejected him, and they will not accept that he is and was and is the Messiah. Why is that? Because he doesn't fit their idea of what Messiah should have looked like. See, we as people, we have an idea about what we think God's going to do. How we think it's going to work. We have an idea. They had an idea of what Messiah was going to be like, look like, act like, and what he was going to eventually do. And because Jesus did not fit their preconceived ideas they rejected him. This is not my main point, but I'm going to challenge us. Sometimes we have ideas about how God's going to respond, how things are going to work out, how things are going to play out. And when they don't play out the way that we thought they were going to play out, sometimes we go, huh. And sometimes people walk away from God and they reject God because they had their preconceived idea of what God was going to look like, act like, and be like. And God said, don't put me in a box, because you can't put me in a box. And if you put me in a box, I won't be there when you open it up. 
So maybe ideas like the virgin birth. Think about this. The angel comes to Mary and says, rejoice, highly favored one. And I'm going to pause right there. And I'm going to kind of talk a little bit different angle of what that meant to Mary. What this greeting meant to Mary. This is what the angel said to Mary. Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And what's going to be conceived in you is of the Holy One, for he will save the world, save the world from their sins. That's what he actually said. Here's how it played out in Mary's life. <clears throat> You're going to conceive a child in your womb, even though you've never had relations with a man. People are going to call you a tramp. They're going to call you all kinds of names. They're going to call you a liar. They're going to assume the worst about you. Even your own beloved betrothed Joseph is going to not believe you. They're all going to say, who'd you sleep with? Nobody's going to believe you. Rejoice, highly favored one. Your world's going to be turned upside down. Every time you walk anywhere in Nazareth, people are going to go, that's that little girl. She's a little touched in the head. She says she didn't have sex, but look at that belly. Right? That's what the angel was telling her. You were, you were going to have a son and that son, is, his father is God, but if you say that, they will try to stone you because you are blaspheming according to the religious leaders. That's what the angel told her. Even though that's not what he said, that's the result of what he told her. Sometimes when God gives you a vision, when God gives you a, a word, when God gives you an assignment... It's like, awesome! And then you go, oh. So that means my whole world gets turned upside down. Oh, so that means I lose all my friends. Oh, that means that people are going to think that I'm delusional because, God, you've given me a big vision. Oh, that means, oh, God, I know what this means. This means i got to die to myself to make this, to make this vision work. To make God's plan work for my life. Because that's what Mary had to do. Everything in her life was turned on its head from that day forward. Everything in her life. All her relationships. Everybody assumed the worst about her. I mean, think about it. You're going to have some girl, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I didn't have sex. Yeah, right, okay, whatever. But the fact is, that's what happened. So when God gives you a vision or gives you something to do, it's good to understand that when he gives you something to do, that there comes ancillary situations that sometimes aren't all that great. But the end is always great. But getting there isn't always so much fun. Sometimes it's no fun at all. So they, the, she, the, angels, the angel first announced it to Mary. Then he told Joseph, you know the story. He said, hey, marry her. Don't be afraid. It's really true what she's saying. 
And then Joseph said, okay, man, I got it. You know, and so he, so he married her. And then, then they embarked on this, are you ready for this? 90-mile walk. It's like walking from here to South Bend. Walk. I didn't say drive in your Escalade. I said walk. Oh, did I mention she was nine months pregnant? How rude. <laughs> I thought, God, really? You're going to make her walk 90 miles and she's nine months pregnant? Really? Then I repented because I'm like accusing God. But anyway, but the point is, prophecy said that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. So Caesar Augustus said everybody had to go back to their hometown. It just so happened that Joseph was from the city of David, Bethlehem. So she went with him because they were married. Or they weren't married, but they were betrothed, which is like being married, you know, without, it's, it's more than engaged, but, you know, it's a Jewish thing. So she traveled with him, even though she was nine months pregnant. It took them five days of brisk walking. And, you know, all the videos show her riding the donkey. Even riding a donkey for five days straight, 90 miles, does not sound like a good time to me. 90 miles. Here to South Bend. On a donkey or walking. Wow. So that was the second part of the glorious thing of, of bearing the Savior of the world. A star announced Jesus' birth. Kings traveled more than a year to greet the king. And the stable, the barn, was his birthplace. The kings that came had traveled for months. Because when they came to Herod and inquired from Herod when, uh, where the king was, they said, we've seen a star, and where's the king? And Herod's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, and then he inquired of them, what was the time that this star appeared? Because the star appeared the night Jesus was born. So if you look and you track it back, and then it, it says that Herod, after he realized that the wise men had tricked him and hadn't come back and shown him where the king was, it says he ordered every male child in Bethlehem to be killed that was two years old and younger. So that's where people get the idea that um, it was somewhere between 6 and 18, possibly up to 24 months after the birth of Christ that the wise men actually showed up. And when they showed up, they came with a caravan. They didn't come, just two of them, you know, on a, on a couple camels. They had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They had traveled many miles on their faithful, donk, on their faithful camels, right? That's part of the Christmas play, if you don't remember. But they traveled all these miles, and they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's interesting Another prophecy says, out of Egypt I have called him. And yet, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. How was he going to get to Egypt? Well, 
the angel came to Joseph and said, flee, Herod seeks to kill the child, go to Egypt. So it's believed that Joseph and Mary and Jesus lived in Egypt somewhere between three and a half and five years. They lived there until Herod died. Based on the historical records, it appears that somewhere between three and a half and five years that they lived in Egypt. So Jesus would have been somewhere between five and seven years old before they moved back to Nazareth. It's just interesting that you, when you think about it, because when those kings arrived, they came, it's, it's believed that Jesus and Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem um, for a period of time, probably in that 18 month range. And we don't know for sure, but here's what the king's provisions brought. It's believed, when you, when you look it up and you read people that are super smart and they're historians and they've done all the scrolls and all the historian and Josephus and all the history, it's believed that the gifts that they brought that day were a lot of money. They were worth a lot of money. It was gold, which was the standard of currency, frankincense, which is a very costly spice, and myrrh, which is a very costly ointment and spice. Now, the estimates range anywhere between a half a million and a million dollars is what they brought him that day when he was, when he was, when they came to the house where he, where he lived, where they were staying. And it's interesting that the gold that they brought represents the deity or the fact that he was king. See, gold is for kings. Gold represents the king, and it represents his deity. And the frankincense represents his priesthood. It represents purity, incense, and worship. Frankincense represents, gold, represents his priesthood, his purity, his incense, and worship. And the myrrh represent his prophetic anointing. It was a spice, and it was used also in preparation for burial. So, but it was, it's interesting that the, the, the kings, when they showed up, they brought resources that enabled Mary and Joseph to travel to Egypt and to live there for those years. I mean, you think about it, and you go, so then you look at another prophecy, it says, out of Egypt I have called him, and that's where they fled to, was to Egypt. So it's, it's almost like God knows the end from the beginning, huh? That's exactly what it is. There's hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that are only true about Jesus, and that it's absolutely why he is the only one that could have possibly be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Even the, even the kings brought him gifts that signified that he was prophet, priest, and king. I just think that that just, that just blows my mind. That even the wise men brought him those gifts representing his prophetic anointing. He was a prophet. He called himself a prophet. He said in Matthew 13 that a prophet's not without honor except for in his own hometown, Okay? He's definitely a priest. He's a, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he's, a, and he's the, the high priest, the, the final high priest, the great high priest. 
And he's also king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. So even the wise men's gifts demonstrate that he's prophet, priest, and king. Jesus didn't begin at a stable, like I said. A, a child is born, but a son is given. Jesus was a real person. He was all God, but he was also all man. He was both. He was all God in that the Spirit of the Lord, God's heavenly seed, impregnated Mary supernaturally, without natural means. And he was all man in that the egg was from Mary. And it was God's seed and Mary, so he was both God and man. It's also interesting that the sins of the fathers are passed down to the third and fourth generation, and his father didn't have any sin. His father was heavenly father. His father was Jehovah. So he was not conceived and born in sin like every other man that was ever born after God created Adam. See, he never sinned. He didn't have sin like the rest of us. He never sinned. But yet he was completely human just like us. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He was tempted with the same pressures and desires. Hebrews 4 says that seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he was tempted in every way that we as humans have ever been tempted, and yet he never sinned. He was tempted, I'm sure, <laughs> listen, I'm sure that the kids in Nazareth they teased Jesus because he never did anything wrong, right? Anybody who's ever been a goody two-shoes, right? Anybody who's ever gotten A's and been mocked for getting good grades or anybody who's ever been a, made good decisions and said no to sin and then you had the other kids, the cool kids, mock you, I bet Jesus had the cool kids mocking him because he was tempted in every way like unto us. I'm sure that he didn't fit in because you can't fit in when you never sin. I'm sure he didn't fit in with them. But it, and he was tempted to want to fit in. Why? Because he was human. And we long for fellowship as humans. He was tempted. And one time, it says that he kicked over the tables, that he took a whip, and he went after the people in the temple. And he was angry. But then you look in Scripture, it says, be angry, but do not sin. So even though he was angry because he said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves, and he kicked over their tables and kicked them out of the temple. That wasn't very nice, Jesus, right? Because isn't in our society, haven't, I'm, we're going to digress for a second. I'm going to get on my soapbox about how goofed up our society is. In our society, even in most of the church, People think 
that you have to be nice, 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 nice. They think the 11th commandment is thou shalt be nice. Now, you don't have to be rude, and you don't have to be mean, but you also got to call a truth truth. You got to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth, people don't like it, and they call you mean because you're telling them the truth. And they say, oh, you're not nice. You're hateful. No, I'm not hateful. I'm just telling you the truth. And I'm trying to be nice about telling you the truth, but uh, you don't want to hear the truth. You, the darkness hates the light. And if you turn the light on, they get mad at you, right? So Jesus wasn't always nice. How's that? I'm going to burst the bubble. Jesus, what would Jesus do? Jesus would kick over the tables, take a whip, and drive all those thieves out of the temple. That's what Jesus would do. Because that was the truth. Jesus would call religious hypocrites, he would call them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He would call them snakes and vipers. Now, that's not very nice, Jesus. Well, tough luck. That's the truth. See, I think we got to understand, we can be nice, don't get me wrong, you don't have to be rude and angry and, you know, all that, and you never, you don't want to resort to physical violence, certainly not, that's not what we want. However, you can't back off a truth just because people don't want to hear it. You still got to tell the truth, because that's what Jesus did. So if somebody says, what would Jesus do? He'd tell the truth, okay, regardless of if somebody says, oh, that's not nice, okay, um, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. Now, we should be nice and kind and all that, but we also need to tell the truth sometimes. And that may be uh, offensive to someone if you tell them the truth, okay? And when I say truth, I don't mean your opinion. I mean scriptural truth, not just your opinion or your preference, because don't, don't start doing that. But... Anyway, I got, off, I got off on that one. I got off on a soapbox. Sorry about that. He felt pain like all of us, but yet he never sinned. He never sinned. Jesus came to show us God's love. That's why he came. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he said while they were killing him. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. He came to pay for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 6, 23. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Luke 2, 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I'm just curious. He came to be our Savior. He didn't come just to coddle people and to make them feel good while they were still in their sin. He came to call them and to have them repent and leave their sin. 
I was at a, I had a conversation with someone just recently, and this person told me they'd been saved, they thought, their whole life, pretty much. I mean, not really their whole life, but like after, after college, they got saved. But yet, just recently, they prayed this simple prayer. God, show me the condition of my heart and show me your perspective of my sin. And when God did that, they broke and wept because God showed them that even though they had received Christ as their Savior, even though they had received him as Lord, they still had things that were dark spots and stuff that they had never really repented from and didn't really see as a big deal. See, the wages of sin is death. Now, God, God loves us, and, 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 and he is calling out to you today, and he, he wants to be Savior and Lord of your life. But you need to understand that the wages of sin is death. That's the bottom line. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether we like that, whether you think that's offensive or not, the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way for anyone to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, his son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. You can't get there by being good. You can't get there by saying a certain series of prayers or witnessing enough or knocking on enough doors. None of that works. The only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, his son. And he is the Messiah, the one Messiah, Jesus Christ, son of God. He came to be the savior of the world. Philippians 2.11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. There will be a day when every person that's ever lived, whether they're in heaven, on the earth, or in hell, every person that's ever lived will confess Jesus Christ is Lord and they will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. So I would say, I would rather do it voluntarily now than involuntarily later. That, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to say, listen, Jesus is the way. And, and that's just all there is to it. You say, why are you being so hard? It's Christmas, man. Eat a candy cane. I get it. I will later. But for right now, Jesus is Lord and he wants to be Lord of every area of your life. Not just a part of it. Not just on Sunday from 9 till noon. Not just on Wednesday night from 6.30 till 8. He wants to be Lord of your life 24-7. And that's where life begins. It begins by making him Lord. And that means... God, what I think 
and my box that I think how you should react. God, that box that I think how you should be, how you should react, how you should respond, how you should do things for me, all that box that we have God in, we need to take that box and chuck that box in the trash and say, God, mold me, make me into your image. That's where it starts. That's where lordship starts. Saying, Lord, all my preconceived ideas about what I think you should do, I'm going to pull those, just put those aside. Lord, what do you want to do in my life? I want to serve you. I want to give my life 100% to you. This Christmas, I'm going to just make sure that I have received the gift, the full gift, with everything, not just a part of the gift. I want to receive everything that God has for me this Christmas. Every part of that gift, which means freedom, healing, wholeness, purpose, vision, passion in every area of our lives. That's what God has for us. Complete freedom where you don't have to look over your shoulder or remember your story because it's just the truth. See, that's the beautiful thing about not lying. You don't have to worry about remembering what you said because it's just the truth. See, and that God helps you not be a liar. God helps you not be those things anymore. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm not a liar. I know that. In my natural self, I'd be a liar. I know I would. Why? Because I was before. But thank God, not anymore. See, it's only by the grace of God. So today, just bow your heads if you would. And I just want us to just, just get up to a position of, of a posture of surrender um, a posture of receiving. And I just want to pray with all of us, everybody online and all of us, just a prayer of consecration to the Lord. And if you just pray this prayer with me, I'm not saying you're going to hell, nothing like that. I'm just saying, God, I want to be at a place that you have for me. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. I want to forget about my preconceived ideas. Just pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I've sinned. Since I've been saved, I've sinned. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to remake me. I forsake all my preconceived ideas. All my prejudices. I leave them behind. And I ask you to mold me. I ask you to make me into the person that you have called me to be. Fill me with freedom. Fill me with passion. Fill me with purpose. Fill me with vision. Everything that you have for me in this life, I receive it. I want the full package of Jesus alive in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, yeah, give him, give him thanks. He is prophet, priest, and king. That's all there is to it. And he has so much more for us. So I just, if you just remember this little thing, and that is, 
whatever preconceived idea you had. Maybe you're disappointed with God because he didn't do something that you were sure he was going to do. I'd say let go of it. Please just let go of it. Because you know the Jews, they had a preconceived idea and they missed the Messiah because they had a preconceived idea and they wouldn't let go of it. And they missed the Savior of the world because of their preconceived ideas. And there's people right now that are missing what God's doing in the earth because of their preconceived ideas. They're looking for a, they're looking for a baby in a manger and he's coming back as King of Kings, Lord of Lords on a white horse. And they're looking for a baby. See, they were looking for the King of Kings on a white horse and he came as a baby and they missed him. And now there's some people that are looking for him as a baby and when he comes on the white horse, are they going to recognize him? Because they have a preconceived idea. So let God speak to you and look to his word. Just live in that word and you won't get deceived. Awesome.